0: Hello and welcome. I'm JY Ping, and you're listening to a series of logical reasoning lessons that I'm doing for the Seven Sage podcast. Last time we talked about most strongly supported questions and how they ask you to be uh, familiar with this concept of support. Just what does it mean for a claim or a set of claims to support another claim? Here, today's lesson, we're going to talk about that same idea of support, but we're going to turn the dial all the way up, meaning. This is as much support as is possible to get from one set of claims to another set of claims. Like, if you're looking for the strongest kind of support out in the world, this is it. Okay, you're not going to find anything stronger than this. And this is what uh, the subset of questions on LR are called must-be-true questions. That's what they're after. So what they'll do is they'll give you, I mean, the question stem will say something like, um, which one of the following statements follows logically from the statements above so there are the key phrases follows logically that's their signal that phrase follows logically means must be true sometimes they'll just be explicit and say it if the statements above are true which in the following must be true um, they'll also say is a valid inference okay valid inference is also a phrase that means must be true or alternatively they could say something like logically inferred that also means must be true all of those different phrases are ways that the outside writer wants to indicate to us that we're not just in most strongly supported territory, okay? We are in a very special subset of most strongly supported where it's not enough that this answer choice, let's say A is the right answer choice, that A receives more support than B, C, D, and E. No, that's not good enough anymore. Now we're requiring that if the claims and the stimulus are true, there is no other option but for A to be true. So when we talked about most strongly supported, you know, you I mentioned that you could kind of quibble with the right answer choice and be like, well, the right answer choice, it is C, but, you know, C kind of assumes that this and this and the stimulus didn't really say this and this, the stimulus said that and that, and you have to assume that that and that means this and this in this situation. And, you know, I was like, yeah, that's, that's right. You kind of do. There are, you know, in most strongly supported questions. It is possible to find space, to find a gap where even if the stimulus is true, the the you know the correct answer choice could still be false, sure. But that was never the standard, right? For most strongly supported questions, the standard is just that, hey, this answer choice gets more support than any of these other four answer choices. And that, that's, that's it. So it's different now. This is much, much more rigorous for must-be-true questions. Now, um, often the way that they make that much more rigorous standard work is by using logic, like formal logic. And this is a scary concept for a lot of people. Um, and, y- you know, there is some truth to, to the fact that it, it's difficult, right? This is not something that you encounter in your day-to-day um, activities, certainly not something that every college student encounters. You, you have to, uh, like if you major in math or computer science or philosophy, if you can actually study logic, then sure, then you you will have encountered uh, formal logic at some point but let's say you're just an english major or a political science major then you probably have actually never never you know at a academic level dealt with um, this system of formal logic but uh, the good news so that's the bad news the good news is that the LSAT's version of formal logic is a very watered down version it's, it's kind of like an elementary version of it right so if you, if you were to take and I guess this is a recommendation if you are still in school and you can do this go ahead and look at your philosophy department uh, the department's course offerings and if they're offering logic classes go take it right elementary logic is more than enough i think the next level up in most universities is symbolic logic that's like way more than enough both of those classes will help okay so today it to talk about must be true questions i have to i have to talk a little bit about formal logic the question that we pull from the june 2007 prep test and that's the prep test i'm going to be using for this entire series of lessons um, that prep test only has one must be true question, so that's underrepresentative. Okay, for the over the last like dozen or so most recent LSATs, on average there's about two must be true questions per prep test. Here in this one there's only one, so okay we can only use this one. Um, this one question is representative, certainly representative of some must be true questions. It's it's pretty cookie cutter in fact but it's also not complete you know there you're gonna have other must-be-true questions that look nothing like this one right so it's a once representative of some types and obviously not a complete representation of all types so before we get started with this let me just uh, talk briefly uh, give give you kind of like a in a nutshell version of the full logic lesson that's actually in the core curriculum on seven Sage. Um and briefly the reason why we even have logic as a concept as a language is because uh, English or French or Chinese or any of the natural languages is not that great at capturing very rigorous, precise concepts. Okay? It's, it's not great at capturing it, and you, 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 kinda, you introduce ambiguities where you don't mean to, and it's hard to see logical relationships um, that you didn't know before. In other words, it's hard to discover logical relationships, and, and that, that's that act of discovery, of inferences, of logical relationships, things that must be true. That act is much simpler, much easier when you have a language that's built for that. So for other reasons too, but for that reason certainly, mathematicians and logicians have come up with many different kinds of logic, in quotations, as a language. In the core curriculum in 7th Age, we are going to use a very watered-down version of logic. OK, so, you know, I mentioned earlier, if you take an elementary logic class or a symbolic logic class in your philosophy department, you're going to learn the notations in a, in a language. OK, and only some of those notations will be used in, um, for the LSAT because it's, it just doesn't get that complicated. OK, so part of what you're going to have to learn and get good at is this act of translation, translating the test, which is written in English, translating the logical reasoning questions that use heavily logic. Like conditional logic you know relationships between sets and their subsets and or their supersets and and intersecting sets right and how much do they intersect do they intersect just a little bit or is one set mostly intersecting with another set all of these ideas are going to be presented to you in english and those very same issues that i just alluded to earlier are going to be there it's it's kind of difficult to wade through the messy um kind of chaotic and just It's just messy you know the language is just messy and i'm not saying like english in particular think like you know french i don't think it'll be any better in french or or chinese for that matter right it it is in fact better though in this artificial language which we call logic spelled l-a-w-g-i-c in the core curriculum it's much better to represent these concepts in logic because it's clear that language is clear. There, there are clear translation rules from English into that language, and once you translate this mess that's in our natural language into this artificial language, it's easier and clearer to discover the relationships, right? And these relationships are, you know, things that must be true, right? Or things that could be true, or things that must be false, or things that could be false. Okay, so this is highly useful for logic games. You, can, you just you have to learn how to do this for logic games. Okay? And also a subset of questions on the logical reasoning. Must be true, being one of them. Another subset of questions on logical reasoning, sufficient assumption questions, You, they don't all use logic, right? Spelled L-A-W-G-I-C, but a lot of them do. Also, a lot of analogy or parallel method of reasoning questions, they also use that, and, and flaw questions and parallel flaw questions, they use logic, or at least they try to use logic, and they make mistakes in using logic, and, you know, Our job is to figure that out. So for those kind of questions, you just, you have to know this, okay? You have to know this language. You have to know this translation exercise. So part of what we're going to do today is just a little bit, you know, kind of get your feet wet on how to do translations, and then we'll see it apply to this one particular question, which unfortunately for us is actually kind of a difficult question. It's definitely not the question I would choose to introduce this concept uh, to you, assuming you have no background at all. But unfortunately, it's, it's what we have. It's the only question in the June 2007 prep test that uh, is a must-be-true question. So um, if you find at any point that it's kind of hard to follow along, that's okay. You know, it's, it's, not, it's totally normal. Okay, you shouldn't feel bad at all. Um, it's because this is difficult to follow just in the audio version. Uh, there is a visual, full visual lesson on 7Sage that you can freely look at you just have to look up the June 2007 section three question 22 video explanation. So you'll see everything I'm going to say, you're going to see it sort of mapped out very nicely. But having said that I don't want you to immediately just turn this off and go there. Um, I mean, you can, if you want, but um, I think it is still kind of a good exercise just to challenge yourself to see if you can just through listening, right? See if you can in your mind's eye build out the logic map anyway, right? That's a challenge and it's uh, it's a worthwhile challenge. Okay, so let's let's start. Uh, let's start with this idea that in English there are different ways to express the very same relationship. Like like if I wanted to give you this, you know, think of this relationship between cats and mammals, where cats are that's the subset, right? Clearly cats is a subset mammals is a superset. You can think of a smaller circle inside a larger circle. The larger circle is mammals, the smaller circle is cats. Inside that larger circle of mammals, you have other circle like dogs. Dogs are also mammals, but they're not cats, right? In fact, I don't think there's any intersection between dogs and cats yet, right? Yet until our biologists, our our geneticists figure out some kind of like cat dog, the perfect house animal. Anyway, that's my fantasies about the future. Um, But for now, you know, these are two distinct sets. There are other sets too. Birds are animals and that's a separate set. So really formal logic in a sense is just kind of talking about these sets, these set relationships. Who's a subset of whom? Who's a superset of whom? Right? Superset means more above. Subset means smaller inside. Right? So mammal to cats. Mammal is a superset of cats. Cat is the subset of mammal. So now that we have that bit of terminology about sets, I can conjure up this image in your mind about um, a smaller circle and a bigger circle, right? Where the smaller circle is cats, bigger circle is mammals. I can conjure that image up by just saying the words that I just did. Right So you should have that image in your mind or i I don't have to i could I could say some other words right I could say something like in our world, if something is a cat then that thing is a mammal right so there I've used a different set of English words to express the very same idea though if something is a cat, then it's a mammal or I could say something like only if something is a mammal, is it a cat right that that one might be kind of hard to understand, but if you think about it for a second if you understand what the word only means, you'll realize it's true something can be a cat only if it's a mammal right being mammal in other words is the necessary condition of being a cat right and being cat is the sufficient condition for being a mammal right so th- th- that's two more uh terms of jargon uh, necessary and sufficient that um you're gonna have to you're gonna have to well incorporate into your concept of um, how logic works on on the lsat um the sufficient condition attaches to the smaller circle, what we call the subset. The necessary condition attaches to the larger circle, what we call the superset. So generally speaking, members of the subset are sufficient for membership in the superset. right? A membership in the superset is necessary for membership in the subset. And this makes sense if you just think about it for a second. Because the island of cats sits inside the continent of mammals, of course you have to have membership in the mammals. right? That's the necessary membership. You have to be on the right continent if you want to find yourself on the on the island of cats, right? If you're in the continent of like bacteria, well, you're often a different continent. I don't end the conversation. I don't have to talk about if you're a cat anymore because I know you're not, right? So analogously, it's you can think of it this way: like if you want to be in Oklahoma, where do you have to be first? You have to be in America first, right? So so Oklahoma is a smaller subset. America is a larger superset. So Oklahoma is sufficient for America. America is necessary for Oklahoma, right? If you're in Oklahoma, then that's sufficient. That's all I need to know. I know already you're in America. And being in America, of course, that's necessary, right? Because that's the right country. If you're in some different country, let's say you're not in America, you're in Mexico. All right, then, well, you know, wherever you are, I know you're not in Oklahoma, right? So that's, that's a sense in which the superset is the necessary condition. And the subset is the sufficient condition okay so all of the i've just been like for the last like 10 15 minutes i've just been giving you a lot of different ways to express a rather simple idea which is a circle inside a larger circle you know and i've just been talking round and round different ways i talked in terms of uh, sufficiency necessity i talked in terms of uh, superset subset i talked in terms of if cat then mammal and i've spoken uh, i said Something can be a cat only if it's a mammal. There are many more ways to say this, and that's part of what makes English kind of messy. Okay, so in English, you can also say something is not a cat unless it's a mammal. (laughs) You know, that maybe takes a while to process also, but it's true. Something is not a cat unless it's a mammal. And again, I can, I suppose, explain this in one of two ways. One is I just appeal to your intuition. Hey, you're a speaker of English. You know what the word unless means, right? And so therefore, you must agree with me that what I just said, something is not a cat, unless it's a mammal, is a true claim about our world. And it's also the same claim about the world that I just made, which is, uh, if something is a cat, then it's a mammal, right? So that's one way. I'm just straight up appealing to your intuition. Like, you know what unless means, right? Okay. You know what? That approach never worked with me. When I was studying for this test, words like unless, words like only, words like without, all these words like, endlessly confusing for me so I ended up just resorting to a trick that I learned in logic class which is a translation trick which is when you encounter these words these logical indicators you just apply you just mindlessly apply some translation rules so you get it from the confusing English version into the clear logical representation and then that's it that's the end of the story for for me ever since then the word unless I process the word unless that way Like, I didn't have an intuitive grasp of what the word unless meant. Unless, for me, meant take one of the ideas, slap a negation on it, and call that idea the sufficient condition. And then the other idea that I didn't touch is the necessary condition. So here, in this instance, I said something is not a cat unless it's a mammal. Okay, so I identified that the logical indicator is the word unless. What are the two ideas being connected, right, who stand in relation to each other? through this logical indicator of unless one idea is not being a cat the other idea is being a mammal right because the sentence is something is not a cat unless it's a mammal fine so those are my two ideas a thing not being a cat and then a thing being a mammal so the rule for unless to process this word is to take one of the ideas doesn't matter which one take one slap a negation on it well i'm going to take the one that already has a negation on it because when I slap a negation on it, the two negations cancel out and it goes away. So the one idea that says something is not a cat, I slap a negation on it, okay, it's just a cat now. And that idea becomes a sufficient condition. So now my sentence, which originally said something is not a cat unless it's a mammal, just says cat sufficient mammal. Right? Meaning if something is a cat, that's sufficient for being a mammal. Oh, well that's much easier to understand. That's just like saying if something is a cat, then it's a mammal. Right? So That's what I'm talking about when I say, like, you take these logical indicators and they're just rules. They really are just like, they just lay down the logical relationship between the ideas that they're, um, like, holding on to. Okay, so some of these words are just more intuitive for us. Like, if. If is super intuitive, I think, for almost everybody. If always introduces sufficient conditions. You know, I said, if something is a cat, then it's a mammal. Well, great. That's if cat, cat, sufficient for mammal. And the way you represent the uh, sufficiency necessity relationship is you, you, you write an arrow. Okay. Sufficiency is the beginning of the arrow, pointing over to necessity. So in our case, it will be cat pointing over, arrowing over to mammal. So we can also talk about other words like uh, without. You know, without is another one of those words that was very difficult for me. Um, and the way I've learned to deal with it is I, I realized that without operates in exactly precisely the same ways unless. So the very same rules apply there, right? You pick one of the two ideas, doesn't matter which one, slap a negation on it, make it the sufficient condition, okay? And um, something like only, only works the opposite from if, where, where if introduces sufficient conditions, only introduces necessary conditions. So earlier I mentioned that something can be a cat only if it's a mammal, right? So the, the idea that follow the word only or only if, only and only if they're, they're the same is is this idea of being a mammal right so so really i'm i'm just saying that being a mammal is the necessary condition because only introduces necessary conditions being a mammal is a necessary condition of being a cat so with that introduction that brief introduction to logic i think we're we're probably ready to look at this question um and i want to appeal to um your intuitions again And this time I want to ask you if you can discover some brand new logical relationship if I give you a certain set of logical relationships. Like I'm going to give you maybe two or three sets of relationships and I want you to give back to me something I didn't say, right? I didn't say it, but you know, based on the things that I did say that this new thing has to be true, must be true, right? In other words, you've discovered, you can discover a brand new logical relationship and hand it back to me. Okay, so so here we go. I'm going to tell you that if something is a cat, then it must be a mammal. And then I'm going to tell you that if something is a mammal, then it must breathe air. So that's it. I'm Stop. Full stop, right? Like I just told you those two things. If something is a cat, then it's a mammal. Next thing is something is a mammal, then it must breathe air. Can you hand me back a brand new logical relationship that I did not hand you, but you know is nonetheless a must-be-true claim? On the basis of those two claims, I think you can, right? You're going to give me back that if something is a cat, then it breathes air, right? Which would be right. That claim must be true. Okay, let's do something else now, right? Because I just want to make sure you, the claim that you gave back to me, if something is a cat, then it breathes air. I want to make sure that you derived the claim. In other words, you discovered that logical relationship on the basis of the two claims I gave you. And not just because you happen to know that that's true okay so let's try something new if something is a turtle then it can fly and if something can fly then it can breathe fire so those are the two claims that i that i'm handing to you can you discover a brand new logical relationship that must be true on the basis of those two claims and again i think you can you can hand me back that if something is a turtle then it can breathe fire see there i'm sure i'm more sure now that You did the thing that you were supposed to do, which is on the basis of the two claims that I gave you, you handed me back a claim that must be true because I doubt you knew that, uh, turtles can breathe fire, right? Because, well, for one, obviously they can't, and I don't know why you would think that they could until I just gave you those two claims, right? So that's the act of drawing support. And, and, you know, I mentioned it's the strongest possible support. It's the support of must be true. Right? when these two claims are true if something is a turtle it can fly if something can fly it can breathe fire if these two claims are true then it must be true there's no world you can find where these two claims are true yet the third claim is false right because of course turtles have to breathe fire then so now now that we have these two examples where i gave you two claims and you examined them and you discovered in them some brand new logical relationship that nevertheless had to be true in the in those two claims if those two claims are true. Now that we have these two examples in our belt, I can go back to earlier when I mentioned that this is called formal logic, and now I can tell you why it's called formal logic. The third claim that you discovered, the new claim that you discovered, they handed back to me, its truth depended not upon the contents of the claims, but rather upon the form of those claims, right? Because really what we just did, this is a, you can generalize what we just did into a, if A then B, if B then C, Right, I, Those are the two claims I hand you. If A then B, if B then C, what do you hand back to me? If A then C, right? That claim must be, if, if it's true that if A then B, A arrow B in other words, right? If it's true that if B then C, B arrow C in other words, well, then it must be true that A arrow C, right? And you see, it doesn't matter what's in the A box, right? Imagine if the A is, is just a box, It's just a box with some contents inside that we we are not looking at. We're just closing the box and we're slapping a label on it. A. This is the A box. Next box, come here. Okay, uh, throw some content in there, close it up, seal it up, slap a B label on it. Next box, third box, C box, same thing, content, wrap it all up, slap a label on a C. I don't care what's in there. It can be anything in there, right? In the first instance, what was in the A box? It was a cat. What was in the B box? A mammal. What was in the C box? Things that breathe air. Well then, okay, it links together. Cats breathe air. Fine. Next example, what was in the A box? Turtles, B box, things that fly, C box, things that breathe uh, fire. Again, I mean, right? It doesn't matter what's in the box. The fact that all turtles breathe fire must be true is because of the form, right? It's because of the form. It's because A arrow B arrow C, therefore A arrow C, you can go ahead and swap in A and B and C for whatever the hell you want. And you're gonna still be, you're gonna still arrive at things that must be true a arrow c still must be true if it's true that a arrow b and b arrow c that's why it's called formal logic but now you do want to glean some kind of some strategy from what we just talked about which is that detail suppression is a very useful thing okay and what i mean by detail suppression is the act of taking the contents ignoring them or really just shoving them into the box and just be like i don't want to deal with the contents now i'm just going to shove you in the box close you up put a label a on it and the same with the b Right? Just take all the contents, shove it in the box, close it up, put a B label on it. You you suppress all the details. Why? So that your mind can focus better on the logical relationships. That's why. It's hard to see this because you know, we've been dealing with such simple concepts like, oh, being a cat, being a mammal. Come on, how how that's not that's detail light. You know, it's like not very much detail. You don't really need to suppress all that detail because it's not that distracting. Right? Okay. But if I start telling you about like, hey, if, you know, if something is a cat that likes to wear a hat, but only on Tuesdays, and only after it's eaten its full uh, dinner and played with other cats, then that cat can be a mammal descended from the branch of felines, which originated from Australia and blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. Like, okay, there is... It's still not that difficult to follow, again, kind of because like I'm talking about concepts that you are already familiar with, cats wearing hats, <laughs> cats wearing hats, who's not familiar with that? Uh, but you know, on the outside, you're going to be dealing with stuff that you've never even heard of, that you never even thought of, and it's going to be heavily modified, right? The phrases and nouns will be heavily modified. So it's very easy, in fact, to get distracted and get lost in all of the details. So this is why it's important to remember detail suppression is helpful. You can't keep it suppressed forever by the way at some point you have to open up the boxes and see what's inside but it is a helpful intermediate step so that you can bring your attention to focus on the form on the logic right on the a pointing to the b and not the other way around right and the b pointing to the c and not the other way around okay very useful tactic all right so now let's talk about different ways in which the outside writers can complicate matters so that, that was already one way grammatically they can complicate matters by just You know, doing a lot of funky things with the uh, details and the embedding of clauses within clauses. Um, But, you know, logically, we already alluded to this earlier, too. They can also do a lot of uh, things to complicate. Like, I didn't have to tell you if something is a cat's mammal. I can tell you uh, something is a cat only if it's a mammal. And something is not a mammal unless it breathes air. See, there, I didn't use if claims. I didn't give you two, two neat little if claims. I gave you the first claim I gave you was an only if claim. And the second claim I gave you was an unless claim. But I've expressed exactly the same thing, right? I said something is a cat only if it's a mammal. Well, that's still cat arrow over to mammal following the rules of translation. And the next claim is something is not a mammal unless it breathes air. Again, that's still mammal arrows breathes air following the rules of translation of the phrase unless of the logical indicator rather unless right so you end up with the same thing but that's a complication because it sounds different you can have other complications like for example if i tell you if something is not a mammal then it's not a cat and if something doesn't breathe air then it's not a mammal there again it sounds like i've said something different but i didn't i said exactly the same thing in logic unlike in natural language like english where we can list off just a bunch of expressions in logic, when you use the arrow to express this logical relationship between two concepts, there are only two ways you can do it. Either A arrow B, right? That, that's to say, if something is an A, then it's a B. That's one way to do it. Or you can flip the two elements around and slap negations on both, which is called a contrapositive. And that's the only other way to use this arrow to express the concept. If something is not a B, then it's not an A, right? That's, let's again go back to the cat example. If something's a cat, then it's a mammal, C arrow M. Do the contrapositive. M slash arrow C slash. If something is not an M, then it's not a C, right? Of course, if something is not a cat, how can it be a mammal? That's what we talked about when we said, if you're not in the United States, how can you be in Oklahoma, right? So one way to express that concept is to say, if you're in Oklahoma, then you're in the U.S. A different way to express the exact same concept is to say, if you're not in the U.S., you're not in Oklahoma. Because fundamentally, all we're trying to express is this idea between a set and it's superset or a set and it's subset that's a huge amount of preface but of course it's not preface just for this one question this is preface for well any question on the lsat that uses conditional logic or formal logic so uh, let's let's now actually take a look at question 22 which says If the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase, the coffee shop will have to increase its prices. Now, yeah, I said a lot of words there, but do you recognize the logical structure? Can you do this act of suppressing all the details and just giving me the A box pointing to B box? I I think you can, because that's what it's saying. If the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase, the coffee shop will have to increase its prices. Well, there's an A box pointing to a B box, A arrow over to B, except what's in the A? What's in the A if you open up the A box? and examine its contents, you'll find that inside it says, price that pays for coffee beans continue to increase, right? So, okay, now, now you can kind of imagine yourself as a shop owner, as a coffee shop owner saying, well, you know, you have your costs, right? Your labor is your cost, your rent is your cost, utilities, is your cost, price you pay for coffee beans, that's a cost, right? You don't, presumably you don't grow the coffee beans yourself. You buy them from somebody. So this A box is telling you that the price that you're paying to purchase your coffee beans. It's going up. It's going up. So then they're saying, okay, well, the coffee shop will have to increase its prices. Ah, so you, in response, you have to increase your prices. So that's the A box pointing to the B box. In the next claim, the stimulus gets really complicated. It says, in that case, something has to happen, right? In that case, something has to happen. What does in that case mean? Well, it's a referential phrase, right? It's a stand-in for a claim that's already been made. And they're just saying, well, if that happens, that's what in that case means. If that happens, right? If what happens? if b happens if the thing that we said was in the b box if that happens right so again like kind of suppressing details helps you see the structure they're just building out a logical chain they already said a arrows over to b and what's in the b box oh coffee shop will have to increase your prices right okay that's in the b box in that case in the case where you have to increase your prices or you can just think of it as in the case where b happens then and here's where they get into kind of more advanced lessons in logic so i'll 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 just do some hand-waving uh, because, well, it's, it's, it's quite a long tangent. And we actually have to build out the foundations properly to um, have this lesson properly. So obviously, the, I can't do that here with just... There are some concepts from uh, advanced logic that I'm, I, I can't quite invoke. I just have to kind of do a hand-wave and, uh, again, appeal to your intuitions because, well, it takes a long time to just properly set the foundations, right, to have that lesson. Um, But here, what they're saying is, in that case, either the coffee shop would do something or something else, right? So so again, you know, notice I've already suppressed the details. I just said, in that case, either something will happen or something else will happen. So really, it's this A pointing to B, B pointing to C or D, right? B pointing to C or D. I didn't even tell you what the C or D is, right? But I just want you to kind of... Get used to this concept of a disjunct of this word "or." Say I tell you that uh, if I go to the supermarket today, I will buy milk or eggs. What does that mean? Well, in a sense, it just means exactly what I said. I'm mean, going to buy milk or eggs. Can you say for sure I'm going to buy milk? No, because maybe I just buy eggs and I don't buy milk. Can you say for sure I just buy eggs? No, because maybe I just buy milk and I don't buy eggs. Right? So that's that's what the you know disjunct is. This very interesting idea that gets to say that gets you to that allows you to express this idea of like one or the other out of two you can think of this junction as a minimum maximum right w- what it means is that it's setting a lower bar minimum of, of at least one and it's setting an upper bar maximum of two meaning you know if I tell you hey if I go to a supermarket today I'm gonna buy uh, milk or eggs and I come home with milk and eggs I haven't contradicted my prior statements by my action my prior statements are in fact consistent with my action of bringing home milks and eggs because generally speaking on the LSAT or is inclusive it's understood to be inclusive meaning the maximum is two of these two elements you could have both right but really what it wants to say is that at minimum it's one you better have at least one of them if I come back empty-handed then my actions have contradicted my previous statements okay so that's just what or means or means you know C or D means you have to have either C or D, or you could have both. So back to the stimulus, the C here stands for coffee shop will begin selling non-coffee products. So I don't know, like scones, I guess. Uh, Or, and here's the D concept, the coffee shop, its coffee sales will decrease. Okay, so those are the two things. So far, we have a very nice chain going, a logic chain of A pointing to B, pointing to C or D. You don't know which one. It it could be just C, it could be just D, or it could be both. Next, we have two more sentences. The next sentence says, selling non-coffee products will decrease a coffee shop's overall profitability. Hey, that's that's repeated. You know, that first idea is repeated. That's just the C idea, right? This next claim is saying C is going to lead to M. Selling non-coffee products, that's the C idea, will lead to M, will decrease coffee shop's overall profitability. Okay, back to our milk and eggs analogy, that's like saying buying milk will lead to me having less money in my pocket. So does that mean then if I go to the supermarket, I'm going to have less money in my pocket? Well, not yet, right? Because all you know is that if I go to the supermarket, I'm going to buy milk or eggs. And now I told you if I buy milk, I'm going to have less money in my pocket. What if I buy eggs? Well, who knows? Maybe they accept credit card payment for eggs, or maybe, maybe eggs can be bought on credit, store credit. So I actually won't have less money in my pocket. I can just walk out of the store with eggs because the shopkeeper knows me. and right? So Because you don't know what happens. In the, like, I could just buy eggs, in which case you actually have no idea what happens. But what if I tell you that, you know, if I go to a supermarket, I buy milk or eggs. And then next I tell you, if I buy milk, I'll have less money in my pocket. And then I tell you, if I buy eggs, I'll have less money in my pocket. Well, now, you see, because both of those two things, events, disjuncts, lead to me having less money in my pocket, I can say, for sure, if I go to the supermarket, I'm going to have less money in my pocket. Because if I go to the supermarket, I'm going to do at least one of these two things. And either one leads to me having less money in my pocket. So therefore, for sure, if I go to the supermarket, I'm going to have less money in my pocket. That's a brand new logical relationship that you've discovered based on the information I've given you, based on the logical relationships I've handed to you. Okay, so I can complicate matters, right? I, I say to this very simply, I said, if I buy milk, I'll have less money in my pocket. And if I buy eggs, I'll have less money in my pocket. I can complicate this by making it more opaque by saying something like, I will not have less money in my pocket only if I don't buy eggs. What if I said that? I will not have less money in my pocket only if I don't buy eggs. See, that's where you have to do this like transformation thing, this, this contrapositive thing to realize what I'm saying. Only if introduces necessary conditions, right? I will not have less money in my pockets only if... I don't buy eggs, right? So that's no less money arrowing over to not buy eggs, right? No less money arrow over not buy eggs. To do the contrapositive, we flip the two around, flip the two concepts around, slap negations on both. So that ends up being buying eggs arrow over to less money in my pocket. So you see, it's the same as if I said, if I buy eggs, I'll have less money in my pocket. (laughs) But just in English, there's just i don't i don't know why but someone thought it would be a good probably some lawyer somewhere dreamt dreamt it up you know what this will really confuse them they won't even realize what i'm saying so when they sign they'll think they're signing for one thing but they're actually signing for something else to my advantage i'm going to dream up this way of talking where i say you're not going to have less money in your pockets only if you don't buy eggs right and if someone sat there and just thought about it for five minutes they'll just realize oh that's the same thing as if i buy eggs i'll have less money in my pocket right but (laughs) <laughs> they're counting on you not thinking about this. So our job is to precisely bypass the thinking route and just kind of get really used to this mechanical translation where all of these variations in English sound exactly the same to us, right? We just just clean can rip out the logical structure and just see it. Right? So so there that's the last complication in this question. Right? We went from A box to B box, B box to C or D, right? And you can pack the C or D up together. like just okay it points to something and you unveil that something it's a c or d and now separately c points to m and lastly the claim is the coffee shop can avoid a decrease in overall profitability only if its coffee sales do not decrease ah so you flip and again you do the contrapositive if the coffee sales decrease then the coffee shop will have an overall decrease in profitability so that's just the d box also now pointing over to the m box Right, so all together, chained up, it just reads A arrow B, arrow C or D, and then C points to M, D points to M, so that's it. That's the whole chain. What is the new discovery? Can you discover logical relationships that weren't explicitly stated, but nonetheless must be true given this chain that I just gave you? Well, yes, you can say A box points over to M box. You can say that if the price... Now you, Now is the time to open up the box and see, examine the contents. If the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase, then the coffee shop's overall profitability will decrease. And guess what? That's the right answer choice. That's answer choice C. Except in answer choice C, they added one more layer of complication. Okay, So I say something like, if something is a cat, then it's a mammal. Now consider this other phrase. Something is a mammal if it's a cat. Same or different? Different sounding, certainly, but same concept, same relationship. If something is a cat, then it's a mammal, versus something is a mammal, if it's a cat. Same thing, right? Because it's the, it's the if that fixes the logical relationship. The if introduces being a cat. So the the idea of being a cat is the sufficient idea. It doesn't matter if you take the mammal and drop it in front of the if claim, or you drop it after the cat claim. And that's what they did in answer choice C. They say, the coffee shop's overall profitability will decrease if the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase okay stated in a more clear straightforward way c would just say if the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase that's our a idea then the coffee shops over profitability will decrease that's the m idea right that's the a arrow through b through c or d each one pointing to m arrowing over all the way to m that's the correct answer choice now the other answer choices are incorrect and they're incorrect for cookie-cutter repetitive reasons, okay? So if I tell you that something is a cat, then that thing is a mammal, and if that thing is a mammal, then it breathes air, right? That's what I tell you. Okay, that's the whole set of claims. You you already told me, okay, well, then if something is a cat, then it breathes air. That's an AROC idea. You can never get out of those two claims. A R O you'll never be able to extract, to discover a brand new claim that starts with c arrow something that you, you just can't because you don't know what c arrows over to the, the the thing stops at c right just like how you'll never be able to tell me what arrows over to a what points to a i don't know presumably something points to a but i didn't tell you what points to a because the whole thing started at a a pointed to b b pointed to c what does c point to again presumably something it probably points to something but i mean as far as you're concerned you don't know right? All I've given you are just two claims. That first claim has A pointing to B. Nothing points to A. And the second claim has B pointing to C. Nothing from C. No arrows emanate out of C, right? So so if I try to, if, if you get an answer choice in must a must-be-true question where set starts with C, <laughs> C points over to D. C points over to E. C points over to X. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. They're just wrong. You cannot, I mean, it might be true in our world. It I like, You say, oh, I know. You know, you tell me all cats are mammals and all mammals breathe air. Well, I know something that all things that breathe air have to have lungs. Okay. Yes, true claim. But the truth of that claim has nothing to do with all cats being mammals and all mammals breathing air. The truth of that claim, the claim that all things that breathe air have lungs, have everything to do with the biological facts of the world. Did I ask you to give me a claim that must be true based on the biological facts of the world? No. I asked you to give me a claim that must be true based on the two claims I handed you and only those two claims, right? So that's the difference. So that's a very helpful idea to understand because the LSAT writers love relying on that to generate wrong answers. And if you can see an answer like that, you can just very quickly eliminate it without having to read the rest of the answer choice. Like, for example, in our Stimulus, we had A pointing to B, B pointing to C or D, and each of C or D, each of C and D, independently pointing to M. And what does M point to? Nothing, right? M points to nothing. M, I'll I'll remind you, is the idea that uh, the overall profitability decreases. M points to nothing. So answer choice A and B can be eliminated immediately. A says, if M, then something else. B says, if M, then something else. You see, like, I don't even care to read what that something else is. You, you cannot derive a claim of if, M then, anything on the basis of the information above. Right? So it's very, very helpful. It gets rid of these wrong answer choices super fast. Answer choice D is also wrong, but it illustrates a different trap. Remember earlier I told you about the translation rule for unless and without? The also writers, of course, they know that these, uh, these two words are difficult for people to intuitively grasp and it's easy for them to make mistakes when they translate, right? So remember the translation rule was to take one of the two concepts, slap a negation on it, make it the sufficient condition and then keep the other idea as it is and it's the necessary condition. You can go wrong. I mean, that sounded like a lot of steps, right? So it's easy to make a mistake along any of those steps. I mean, you know, practice, you'll you'll definitely get better. But they will trade on that. They will trade on that possibility of making a mistake. Like D says, the price it pays for coffee beans cannot decrease without the coffee shop's overall profitability also decreasing. That's almost right. It should have said the price it pays for coffee beans cannot increase without the coffee shop's overall profitability decreasing. Right? That would be right, because if it said that, remember, without is negate sufficient. So the first concept is, in this fixed-up version of D, The price it pays for coffee cannot increase. Okay, So negate that means the price it pays for coffee increases. Make that the sufficient. Okay, arrows over. The price it pays for coffee increases, arrows over to keep the other idea just as it is, make it the necessary idea. It arrows over to coffee shop's overall profitability decreasing. That's exactly it. That's just our A arrowing over to M. So you see, with that minor modification of changing decrease for increase, D would also be the correct answer choice. And the fact that D is here looking at us Ready to trap us is very revealing about how the outside writers think and and, how, and like just how much they know about how we think and lastly, answer choice e says either the price of pays for coffee beans will continue to increase or the coffee shop's coffee sales will increase uh, that's wrong. The way you translate a or claim is also like an unless and without claim okay I won 't go into the reasons why but um uh, you know, obviously it's it's in the full lessons, but uh, it is the same. So here, if you translate it this out, it will say, if the price it pays for coffee beans doesn't increase, then coffee shops' coffee sales will increase. I have no idea if that's going to be true, because my A idea, the the what I started with in my stimulus is that if the coffee, if the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase, right? So that's that's like analogously, if something is a cat, then it's a mammal. Right, that the whole thing starts with, if A kicks over to B. If you try to say something like, if not A, well, I have no idea. If not A, then what? Then I don't know. Again, presumably something, right? It's like if you tell me, oh, well, if something is not a cat, uh, then, then what? Then I don't know, because the only two claims I, I have are, if it's a cat, then it's a mammal. And if it's a mammal, then it breathes air. You tell me, if something is not a cat, then what? I can't even say if it's a mammal or not. It could still be a mammal. There are certainly non-cat mammals like dogs. right? Or maybe it's not a mammal because there are also non-cat non-mammals like a bug. right? Insects are not cats and not mammals. So you tell me something is not a cat, I I, I don't even know where to start. right? All I can say is I don't know if this must be true. And that's what answer choice E is giving us. E starts by t- saying, if the price it pays for coffee beans doesn't continue to increase. Well, I don't know. My whole stimulus told me what happens if it does continue to increase right so again no it's just like the first two answer choices this answer choice is also a highly repetitive logical error that the outside writers expect some test makers to make but not you right because now you know how this works okay so uh that's going to do it for today's lesson on must be true questions and you know like i said there's no way i can be exhaustive and comprehensive and cover everything but hopefully this is a good chunk of material that we've played with right it's you're, you're certainly going to find it useful for other must-be-true questions other questions that deal with uh, logic so until next time study hard